Good morning. It is so good to see you, whether you're in the building or online joining us today. Thank you for being here at Bridge Church. It is a good nor'easter day. Isn't it? It's good to be with you. We have some very special guests in the house. Can we give our first time guests a big bridge welcome? So good to have you. Come on, you can do better than that. Even if your team is not in the Super Bowl, you can do better than that. As you can see, my wife and I, we're in much unity today with our Cowboys jersey on. It is so good to see you. This is going to be a wonderful day, going to be a great day. And when we talk, Pastor Scott was talking about the fear of the Lord. We taught on that staff meeting. The fear of the Lord is not being scared of God or afraid of God. It's actually being all in all of God, who He is. And I believe from the depth of my heart, the next move of God is going to restore the fear of God to the people of God. I just believe that. And we're going to see him. We're going to revere him. We're going to acknowledge him. We're going to put him first in everything that we do. I just believe that with all my heart. And it's going to restore his presence to the church. See, the church oftentimes is filled with a lot of stuff. Sometimes it's not God's presence. We gather to host His presence, to exalt Him. Today's going to be a good day. We're going to begin a brand new message, a series called Engage, or Reengage, actually. Reengage. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited. The next two Sundays, we're going to be talking about marriage. But even if you're single, even if you, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of people, right? You either want to get married, you want to wait a while, you're already married. But no matter what your status, you will get some good gold nuggets. Amen. And uh, the name of today's sermon is called Fighting Fair. And we're going to be reading the scriptures, Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25, and also Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to start with Genesis. You can... Look up on your screen here or follow along on your device. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Marriage is not a good idea, it's a God idea. Amen? That's good stuff. Marriage is not a good idea, but it is a God yes. idea. Someone once said, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. <laughs> Anybody's eyes been open lately? Uh, when you begin to talk about marriage, it is a it's impossible to talk about marriage without going to Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Because Genesis 1 through 3 is actually the foundation to the whole God story of the Bible. If you don't understand Genesis 1 through 3, you'll never fully understand the whole redemptive plan of God. The foundation of God. The foundation of society. Chapter 1, we see God creating things with his spoken word. He said, let there be light. And light didn't have a committee meeting. It just came into being. He said, let there be water and, and dry land and the birds of the air and 
the seas teeming with fish, and then he creates man on the sixth day. And so all of this is a foundation to show us God's original intent for human beings. You know, Tangie and I, we've been married now 28 years almost, and how many of you know there are a lot of differences sitting up on this stage? Two people that came from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different families, uh, different educational backgrounds, and just a different society as a whole. And, and some of those differences became evident when we first got married. See, I grew up in a home where you bought great value. I grew up in a home where you bought puffs. That's cereal. She grew up in a home where you bought sugar puffs. I grew up in a home where you bought the off-brand. She grew up in a home where you bought, bought the name brand. And so one of our first disagreements was this when we went to, uh, I think it was a grocery store, might have been Food Line, Harris Teeter, whatever. Uh, one of the first conflicts we had was I was still in my mindset and she was still in her mindset and I was going to buy puffs, but she wanted sugar puffs. You know what I'm saying? And so that right there on the cereal aisle in the grocery store, we started having conflict in marriage because why? There are differences. Henry James once said, all intimacies are based on differences. All intimacies are based on differences. In actuality, we were attracted to each other because we were different. We eventually got engaged and we were married. The things that attracted you to each other when you were engaged and dating, the differences, they become the things which create conflict when you do get Married. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That is God's man. The two will become one flesh. And they were both naked, and they felt no shame. They felt no shame in being vulnerable to each other. They were totally naked, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually and mentally. There was nothing in the closet with the first couple. There was nothing that they were hiding. And within the context of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, we see that God created Adam. The Bible says in Genesis 2, 7, that God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. Look what God did. God creates this man. He blows his breath into his lungs. Adam's eyes pop open. God gives him a home in the Garden of Eden. He gives him a home. And then he gives him a job. Now, for all the single ladies in the house, make sure he's got a home and a job. <laughs> Amen. But as Adam was working what God gave him, he saw that Adam was alone. And God makes this statement. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper for him. A suitable helper. The person you're married to today is a suitable helper, whether you recognize that or not. Made him a suitable helper. How did he make Eve? Well, he put Adam to sleep. Now, for all the ladies that want to put their husbands to sleep, God was the first one to do that. 
He put Adam asleep and did surgery on Adam. He cut his side, took out a rib, and he made Eve. Adam woke up out of his sleep and said, whoa, man. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Woman. Now, the things that we learn in Genesis 1 through 3 is this right here. God created man. We are God's creation. Number two, it's not good for man to be alone. We cannot exist in isolation. Hear me? We need each other. We need our marriage spouse. God made the woman out of the first man. That's the priority of God. Number four, God made male and female. Two genders. Biologically and scientifically, there are only two genders. And that's not a political statement. That's a Bible statement. Number five, marriage is between a man and a woman. That is not a political statement. That is a biblical statement. So as Bible-believing Christians, we leap off the foundation of Genesis 1 through 3. So when it comes to biblical interpretation, we got to understand Genesis 1 through 3. If we don't, the enemy comes in and he begins to twist and he begins to turn and he begins to destroy this thing that God instituted, marriage. And if you can destroy marriage, you can destroy the very fabric of society. God understood that. And when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, where Eve took the fruit, we don't know if it was an apple, a banana, mango, whatever. She took the fruit and she ate it. She sinned. She was deceived, but Adam rebelled because Adam was the responsible party and he knew better. And conflict arose out of that initial Sin. So in marriage, there are two types of people. Number one, there's the consumer. Say consumer. Consumers take. They don't give. They're always in a rush. They're always pressuring people. They're uncommitted. They're selfish. Consumers are always looking for an upgrade if their needs are not met in the relationship that they're in. A consumer will go outside of them marriage to get their needs met. Consumers operate on lust and not love. Lust is pleasure focused. Love is person focused. Lust creates sickness in the relationship, but love creates health and wholeness. Lust is needy and greedy. Love gives and forgives. Lust desires what is forbidden, but love desires to please God. Take a test with me right now. What is your marriage built on? Love or lust? If you're in the relationship and you're constantly saying, I need to get something out of this relationship. It's all about me. It's all about me. I need my needs met. That's a good sign you're operating in lust. Because you're me-focused and not operating in love and being person-focused, other person-focused. Think about that. And number two type of person is a covenant keeper. People who keep covenant. A covenant keeper gives patient. He or she is liberal. They're committed. They're selfless. 
See, passion without proper boundaries is consumerism. Passion with godly boundaries is love. As the people of God, we desire to be what? Covenant keepers. Marriage is a covenant between one man, one woman, and God together. A three-stranded cord cannot be easily broken. So today we're going to talk about fighting fair. We're going to talk about four disastrous actions that happen in marriage that really cause marriage to be destroyed. Yes, I'm going to talk about these four things, and I want you to be careful to listen because sometimes you can slip over into these things and not even realize it. So I want you to carefully listen to the definitions. The first disastrous action that can creep into your marriage is criticism. What is criticism? It is the state of being critical, making adverse or disapproving comments, making judgments, and if you've ever been in a criticism atmosphere, a critical, you know, you feel, um, you don't feel uh, that you're able to be yourself, it's a judgmental atmosphere, you know that you can never thrive in that atmosphere. There's always this feel, it, it'll actually kill you. I remember um, my mother-in-law told me about a situation where they did a study and they took a newborn baby two newborn babies, and they put one baby in a room and fed the baby and put a, you know, its natural mom with it and began to uh, just kind of monitor this baby as the mom would nurture this baby with its words, feed it, speak to it, sing to it, read to it. And then this other baby was a, a newborn baby, same, same type of situation, took a woman, same mom, never spoke to the baby, only fed the baby during feeding times, would walk out, never interacted with the baby. There was no smiling. There was no uh, interaction. There was no bonding. Do you know that the baby that never got talked to or bonded with died? Proven. And so you have to always monitor atmospheres. That's a true story. And so criticism, no one can ever thrive in the atmosphere of criticism. Criticism attacks the actual person. Here's the difference in criticism and complaining. Complaining is about what they did, their actions. But criticism actually says you are bad. They attack the personhood of that person. Complaining is a negative comment about an action that you want to see changed. Criticism sounds like this. You never. Complaining says, I wish you would. You see the difference? So uh, criticism is against the person's actual internal personality, character, right? Personhood. So... That's the first one. The second one is contempt, if you're writing them down. Contempt. Contempt is criticism with a cancer. Now, this is another level of, I guess, abuse. There are different types of contempt, and there is actual emotional abuse that comes with contempt. But contempt is the intention to insult 
and psychologically abuse your spouse. Contempt aims, aims at the heart of a person and tries to actually destroy the person. It's meant to inflict pain and heartache on a person. It's actually saying to a person, you are worth nothing. That's contempt. Remember, it's criticism with a cancer. Common expressions of contempt are name-calling, hostile humor, being the object of your, being, your spouse being the object of your laughter or your mockery, okay? If you want your marriage or any relationship to go from bad to worse, you'll use contempt. It's actually the cancer that can come into a marriage. Number three is defensiveness. We've all gotten defensive, all of us, right? Uh, defensive actually means... I wanted to read this. Defensive means I am using self-protection, right? And a lot of times the way that you were raised, maybe the household that you were brought up in, will cause you to be more defensive, right? Um, Proverbs 20, 23, Proverbs 20, 23, somewhere in there, says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the wellspring of your life. In other words, a lot of times the way we react, the defensiveness, all of those things are because something in my heart happened to me, might have been my, my, the way I was raised, but I'm actually reacting, right, in defense because it's in my heart. I've got to defend myself. Is this good? Is this okay? And then the last one is stonewalling, which may be referred to as ghosting. Has anybody ever said, you ghosted me? You know, like you left, like you're just gone, like you're not even, you're ignoring me. Uh, stonewalling actually means apathy. It means withdrawing emotionally from interaction with your spouse. You're done. Like you've walked through this enough, like you're just, you can't allow yourself to emotionally get involved anymore. Um, instead of getting angry or defensive, you just don't care. You become passive. For example, even though your spouse is trying to communicate with you, you don't give the normal feedback, and you just shut down. Has anybody ever been there? You just are tired. Stonewalling. Yeah, I think uh, men deal with that being apathetic more than ladies do in a lot of ways. Men just check out. They feel like they're just being probably talk to all the time or talk down to, depending on the relationship. And they become apathetic about the emotional connection between uh, themselves and their spouse, um, the connection between their kids. Maybe they even rather be at work than at home. They become apathetic because of what is going on in the home, and it's called stonewalling. It's called being apathetic and not wanting to engage. There are many reasons people don't want to engage. Maybe they've tried and maybe they're just shut down. They're overpowered by their spouse. They don't feel like they're being heard or can't be heard or just going through difficult times. You know, life is a, a, a seasons of ups and downs. You, you go through loss, you go through trauma, you go through situations. And coming out of COVID, I mean, you know, many of us spent more time together than we usually do. Working from home, kids at home, and so we dealt with all these 
situations about conflict and marriage. But we need to learn to fight fair. You know, when, if you're going to fight, you're going to have to fight fair. We've seen fights. Yesterday I was watching Rocky IV with my daughter. She wanted to finish watching it. And when Rocky was fighting the Russian, man, that was, that was one of the best ones. And he won. He said, if I can do it, we all can do it. You know what I'm saying? It, it's Rocky. It's this fighting fair. How many of you remember Mike Tyson when he had an unfair fight with Evander Holyfield? He got hungry in one fight. And he bit his ear off. That's not fighting fair. And in marriage, you're going to have conflict. I don't care how long you've been married. You could have been married one year, two years, 20 years, 28 years, 58 years. There is conflict in marriage because you're talking about two people becoming one. How do we fight fair and really begin to grow even though we're different in many ways? Number one key to fighting fair is this right here. Don't run from strife. Don't run from conflict. Don't run from disagreements. Don't run from bitter situations in your marriage because it will never get better if you constantly run from the situation. Sometimes we want to run and go lock the door and hide and get away. I remember Tangie and I, when we first got married, we were having a disagreement and she took the key. She said, I am gone. And this was probably six months into marriage, probably not even that long. She said, I am gone. I am out of here. She took the keys and the only one car we had. I sat down on the couch, turned the TV on. I don't know what I was watching, but about 20 minutes later, she came back. I said, you're back already? She looked at me. She said, well, I didn't have any gas money. I had to go. I had to come back. He loves telling that story. <laughs> The fact is, she didn't come back. She didn't have no gas money. She could not resist me. How can you leave somebody like me? Come on. See, the fact is, happy couples disagree. There, there are times we disagree. We're different people. We see things differently. We see things through different lenses. We, we see things totally different, but it's our differences that make us better if we'll begin to confront those things and not run from the strife that's in our marriage. You've got you to you gotta face it head on. Deal with the situation. Stop beating around the bush. Why not deal with it at this moment? Deal with the conflict. Paul said this in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's easy to speak the truth in love, but it's harder to receive the truth in love. Yeah, he wants me to repeat it. It's easy to speak the truth in love, but it's much harder to receive the truth in love. Not only do I need to give, but I learned to Receive. I can give constructive criticism. And that's what criticism should be. It should be constructive with the heart of building up your spouse and not tearing them down. But I need to be able to receive constructive criticism. What keeps me from receiving it? Number one, pride. You can't tell me what to do. 
But we have to face this thing with humility. What did Paul say in Ephesians 5.21? Submit one to another out of reverence for God. I know that next verse, I think 22, we all like to quote this one as men. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband. But right above that verse, it talks about mutual submission. We have to submit to each other. We have to submit to each other. Number two. Number two is choose your battles carefully. I remember when Archie and I started dating, and I was so stinking in love. I'm still in love. But I remember, like, I couldn't sleep, and I couldn't eat. And I couldn't, I mean, I, I breathed Archie Ray. I sang about Archie oh, Ray. Oh, yeah. Say that I'm talking time. about, I, he's loving this so much. That's has got a kind of power, you know? It was just crazy. I, you, you, we all did that, right? Like, we were just so stinking in love. And then reality hits. We get back from our honeymoon, and oh my Lord, he leaves his underwear in the floor, right there. And he puts his shoes right out of bed, and the closet's right there, when he could have walked how many feet and put them in its proper place. And so all of these things, you don't really get to know somebody until you live with them, and we did it right. We didn't shack up before we got married. We waited till we got married. And let me tell you, reality set in. And choosing your battles is huge. I have learned over the years that every little thing doesn't have to be mentioned. Every little thing doesn't have to be mentioned. I remember um, there's been many times where I'll go to say something and I, I feel the Holy Spirit go, nope. It's good right now. It's really good. And so you just kind of hold back. But I've learned that because I would just fly off the handle. And still do at times. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we have grown a lot. Um, I love what Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott say. They said that 90% of the issues that we bicker about in marriage can probably be overlooked. 90%. So you have to choose your battles carefully. And when it does rub you the wrong way, take it to Jesus. Because we ain't going nowhere. Leaving's not an option. And so what you have to do is you have to work things out. And I learned a long time ago, I can't change Archie Callahan. Only Jesus can. I'm being serious. You can't change your spouse. Only Jesus can. So learn to take that into your prayer closet and pray about things. And you would be surprised the work that Holy Spirit does behind the scenes. I mean, there's been many times, Lord, to show him how impatient he is. Amen. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> Think about that. 90% of all the things we have Look in common. Look at him changing the subject. <laughs> I'm going to apply grace to that. 90% of all the things that we have conflict over in marriage 
we shouldn't even address. What do we do? We apply grace to that. You have to give people grace. You just have to say, they're having a bad day. Something's going on. Now, the other 10%, you have to actually sit down and deal with. Those are the bigger matters, the larger matters in your marriage. Number three, to find the issue clearly. You don't know how to fight if you don't know what you're fighting about. That's right. You know, it, it's easy to get hysterical in the moment of conflict and not only get hysterical, but get historical. <laughs>
And sometimes even men, when they compartmentalize their lives and they got work, oftentimes they bring their work home, but they don't even realize it. They bring it home because they shut down when they get through the door. Because of something that happened at work. So you got to stay, you know, what are we really fighting about? Define the issue before you fight. Number four. Number four is state your feelings directly. And, and this can be much harder for men. Uh, for women, it's not so hard. Like, we're, we don't have a problem with letting you know how we feel. We really yeah. don't. Amen, men? Like, I'm sure you've heard exactly how your wife feels many times. Um, but if, in order to stay healthy, I really, there's ways you can say it, of course. Um, but I have learned that with Archie, the more clearer I am, in other words, if I try to like put a lot of cherry and whipped cream and, you know, like trying to be really, you know, he's not even paying attention to what I'm saying. Like he's already, his mind's somewhere else. Like I, I have to, I have to get his attention and tell him exactly what I am feeling. Right? Yes. So state your feelings directly. And then it is important. I tell him all the time, you know, he'll tell me like three weeks later, you know, three weeks ago I was dealing with this and that's why I acted like that. And we'll have this conversation like, if you would have just shared that with me, I could have prayed with you. I knew something was going on. And so it's very important for him to state to me exactly how he feels as well because what am I? I'm his helpmate. How can I help you if I'm not ever invited into your 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 place, your emotions, your vulnerability? Like that takes a lot for a man. And I can tell you this: if your if your husband does open up to you, ladies, that is a secret place that never should get out. If it ever is shared with another female or another person, you have ruined him. He will not trust you to be able to talk with you or to state directly what he is going through. Am I right? So you have to guard each other. When we come to you, when we come to each other and state directly how, how we feel, that's a serious thing. You take that serious. Number five, rate the intensity of your feelings. You've got to rate your intensity. What, what am I feeling at this moment from a scale of one to ten? If it's a one or a two, it's probably not a big deal. But if it's a seven, eight, or nine, ten, you need to be talking about that. There's a website called realrelationships.com. They have many tools to help marriages. And one of those tools is to help you to rate the intensity of the conflict you're dealing with in your marriage. You might want to write that down. Real relationships. That's plural, relationships.com. So you got to rate the intensity of your feeling. How am I feeling? This thing making me upset, causing me to stay up all night? No, the Word of God says don't let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger. Deal with the situation. I don't know about you, but it's hard for Tangie and I to sleep if we've got something going on in our relationship. You know, I can usually go to sleep pretty fast. Sometimes I can go to sleep while just looking at my wife, you know, beside her in the bed. She'll she'll hear me snoring, and she'll say, "Are you already asleep?" Are you gone? Ten seconds. <laughs> ten seconds. Ten seconds. 
Number six. Number six. Give up put downs. How many ever heard the phrase, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? The biggest lie ever told. Yes. Because we are all objects of probably negative words at some point in time in our life from a friend, from a father, from a mother. Uh, we have all been the one, the victim of ugly words, and we've had to deal with them. So when you come into your marriage, you got to understand you cannot put each other down. It's not going to win a battle. It's only going to make things worse. Um, it's easy to put down. It's the easy thing to do, to put your spouse down, but it is not the God way to do it. I, I want to read a scripture out of Ephesians that says, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Amen. So you just got to get it out of your mind, get it out of your, your flesh. I will not put my spouse down, not to anybody else, not to them. And don't allow the enemy to have a foothold. Because once you begin with your words to put your spouse down, right there, you've, you've just opened the gate and allowed the enemy to step right into your marriage. Yeah. You, give him, you give him a foothold there. So I love what Solomon said. He said, life and death is in the power of your tongue. Every day that you get up, you get to choose whether you speak life or death. Yeah, complaint is not criticism. We can all complain because you're not attacking the person. But when it steps over into criticism, that's when it becomes detrimental. When you use your, your mouth, your tongue, to really put another person down and to beat them down, that's never healthy in marriage. Number seven, the last one, don't dwell on Downers, Don't dwell on the negative. How I many you know everybody has a negative side? My wife said, I, I leave the underwear laying around when we first got married. You know, you can dwell on the negative. We can all find negative. We're born probably bent toward negativity and not being positive because of sin. But we can't always dwell on the downers. When you're fighting a fight, don't, don't dwell on the downers. Don't take a rabbit trail and go somewhere. Again. Stay focused on that and say, hey, we want to be positive in this situation, but we're going to deal with this issue. Don't leave the room. Don't walk out. Clean, constructive fighting is powerful. Yes. Think about that. Clean, constructive disagreement can be healthy in marriage. Most of us think conflict is negative. No, it it can be positive. It can bring healing to your relationship. Fighting fair requires us to speak the truth in love. But not only to speak the truth, but to receive the truth in love. I want you to stand. We're going to give you an illustration at closing. I, I was uh, thinking about this lesson and thinking about how deep it is, and it feels a little bit heavy. Sometimes you're you're right in the middle of maybe some of the things that we've talked about today. But the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes. So I don't want you to leave here feeling condemned. 
I want you to leave here feeling encouraged because you still have hope. As long as Jesus is here, you still have hope. And you know, Archie and I, we, we struggle through different seasons of our marriage. Um, our marriages look different in every season, but we just refused to even talk about divorce. I mean, it wasn't even an option. And so we still don't have a perfect marriage, but we always put Jesus at the center. And I, I feel like that's a word for somebody. You might not have a perfect marriage, and it may feel like that it's ugly right now, but keep your focus on Jesus. And if you both are moving towards the target, then what happens? Move towards me. This is the target. This is Jesus. If you both move towards the tar target, eventually you'll come together. Because with Jesus being at the center, he brings all things together. Let's illustrate that one more time. Just so they can get a visual. Jesus is right there. If I want to get closer to my wife, she wants to get closer to me emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. We have to be moving in the same direction. Jesus is in the middle. And as I take a step toward Jesus, guess what happens? We just naturally get closer. Come on. We just naturally get closer. Get real close. Amen. <laughs> there are no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. Only Jesus is perfect. But there can be healthy marriages with healthy conflict. We don't talk about perfect marriages. We talk about healthy marriages. Marriages that can work through conflict, that can work through transitions. Tangent and I have been through a lot of transitions over the last four or five years. Kids growing up, one getting married, uh, loss of family members, moving into a new house, church expanding. And all those transitions can cause conflict. But if we keep moving toward Jesus, if we just keep moving toward Jesus, we stay close. We stay close. I want you to bow your head. We want to pray with you. I want you to, if you're married in here, your spouse is here, I just want you to join hands with them. I want to pray over marriages. Pastor Tangie wants to pray. Lord, I just thank you for marriages today. I just thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. God, I just thank you, Lord, that forgiveness reigns in our marriages. Healthy conflict will be a mark of our marriages, Lord. God, that we'll be healthy enough to navigate the conflict that comes. It's not if it comes, it's just when it comes. God, that you would grow us and mature us. God, I just pray for each person that's in this building today. I just pray that the grace, God, to, the grace that causes them to overlook, God, over 90% of the faults of their spouse, Lord. And God, they'll focus in on the good. I pray for healing, God. God, we know we live in a military community, God. Our military puts strains on family members and on relationships and on marriages. I pray, Lord, right now that you would come and that you would move in a supernatural way in marriages. Lord, I thank you right now. I feel led by the Holy Spirit to just speak to someone. Maybe you are stonewalling. You feel like that all of your energy is gone. You feel like you're... 
you could just walk out of your marriage, that there's no hope. I speak to that right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you today that there's an awakening in your spirit and in your soul right now to make and work and fight for your marriage. It is worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for. So I speak to that heart that is weary, it's tired, and I say, come back to life in Jesus' name. Come back to life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With all heads bowed, I want to do one more thing. If you're in here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never received Him as your Lord and Savior, you never confessed your sin and turned from your way and turned to Him, this is a great opportunity to do it. I want to give you an opportunity, whether you're online or in the building. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand where you're at. 